Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you, as it's already been prayed today, that no matter what's going on in the world around us, we are able to say it is well with our soul. And that is because you abide in us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your word that guides us in all truth. And God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. And if we are feeling anxiety or worry about what's going on all around us, God, I pray that we would lay that at your feet right now. And I pray that we would receive the peace that you promised that surpasses understanding. God, speak to us now through your word. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, so many good things happening right now, which I know it doesn't seem like it if you turn on the news, but I hope this morning when when you were sitting there listening to what's coming, uh, that you were saying, man, there's a lot of good things happening too. Um, I'm excited uh, about that week of preparing our hearts for Easter, gathering here to pray and really fix our hearts and our minds on, on all that really Easter is all about. You know, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, very excited about Good Friday service and our Easter sunrise. By the way, stop with the, oh, it's so early to come to the Easter sunrise. It's like once a year. You should all at least dedicate once a year to get up and watch the sunrise because hey, the sunrise is beautiful, right? But to do it with family uh, and to watch the sunrise together and to celebrate the fact that the Son of God rose from the grave, I mean, come on, one Sunday a year. You can do it. Show up here, 5.30, and, and as an extra bonus, we actually provide breakfast afterwards. So, I mean, it's like good breakfast. We're going to have a breakfast right down here in the cafe. It's going to be amazing. Um, so, have you, are you sold yet? Are you coming? I'm going, and I'm looking forward to it. And then we're going to gather here at 10 a.m. and celebrate, uh, again, the resurrection together and our Easter celebration. I think it's going to be a great, uh, a, whole, a great week, a great weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, and, wow, we're going to Mexico Friday. That's crazy. Um, I need to start getting ready for that. That, that is coming very quickly. But, man, I'm so excited. And I was thinking about it when I was standing. We were praying for the team that we kind of all came up here, and we were all standing there. And I don't know if you noticed it, but at least where I was standing in the back, I was looking at this team, and they're all kind of like very serious. <laughs> and, and, and everybody's kind of like arms like this, and nobody had their arms really around each other. And, you know, the, the team hasn't really completely bonded yet. I'm telling you, that will not be the case about 48 hours into this trip. What I saw today is a team, a bunch of individuals, you know, getting ready to go on a trip. They're going to come back as a team. And that always happens when we go on these trips. And it's one of the things I so much uh, appreciate about going on these missions trips is the way that God brings us together uh, as, as a family serving together for his glory. So anyway, Mexico team, you're in for a treat. I can't wait. And it has nothing to do with the fact that it's ridiculously cold here. Um, you know what's funny, though? Seriously? Uh, I looked at the weather for Mexico yesterday. It was 48 degrees in Cuatatola uh, yesterday and rainy. So, so I mean, you know, anyway, that, like half the team just said, I'm not going. Um, <laughs> like, I'm going for the heat and it's cold. That's not cool. No, it's going to be great. So, well, today, if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 through 27. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue our study through this letter that was written by the Apostle John. Uh, he wrote it to believers in order to encourage them in their faith and to assure them of their salvation. I'm hoping by this point, I think I've said that every single week. I'm hoping by the end of this series, you're going to say, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle John to encourage the believers in their faith and to assure them of their salvation. You will know this, I hope, by the end of this series. And at the time that John wrote this letter, there was a rise in false teachers who were causing confusion 
and doubts to arise in the hearts and minds of the believers. So he didn't just feel like, well, I got to write something. I got to write something. I got to send a letter to someone, so I might as well write to the... No, there was a reason why he was writing to assure them, because they were, they were struggling. They were being, uh, you know, really under attack from false teachers. And I, I think that we are living in a time where we see this happening still, right? You know, I was um, thinking about it this morning. Just, there's a, there's a huge movement right now uh, in in the world, uh, if you haven't heard of it, called deconstruction, where, where lots of people who have said, I grew up in the church, I, I was a Christian, but I am no longer a Christian, I am deconstructing my faith. And that's where they get the term deconstruction. And um, it's sad. It's sad. Uh, but I think that the passage we're going to look at today will speak a lot to that. So, uh, some of them are militant, and I guess that's my point. Some of them are militant not only about leaving the faith, but they are militant on, on, on getting you to leave with them. And so it's not just a matter of I don't believe anymore. It's I don't believe, and I want to make sure that you don't believe either. And, uh, and I think that's exactly what was happening to John's uh, church here in Asia Minor when he wrote this letter. So this morning, as we pick up here in, in chapter 2, verse 18, John is going to speak very directly about these false teachers, and he's going to tell his readers how to remain in Christ. John wants these believers to know how to remain in him. And so as we make our way through this passage, John is going to point out two gifts, two gifts that God has given us to remain in Christ. And I believe that these gifts will also help us to stand firm against false teaching. So let's pick up uh, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. John says in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So once again, John, you know, kicks off this little section as, as he's done many times in this letter by addressing his audience with the ter this term of endearment that he likes to use. He calls them his children. He's writing to them again with the heart of a father. And he's writing with the heart of a father who is concerned. He's concerned about his children. You know, I don't know if there's anything... Um, that is more difficult than for a parent to watch their children struggle, right? It's painful, right? It's hard to watch your children struggle. Whatever those struggles might be, it's painful. And John loves these spiritual children of his, and he's concerned that they're struggling, and he wants to address that. And he's concerned with making sure that they understand the seriousness of what's going on all around them. He wants them to recognize these false teachers, which he calls, in this verse, he calls them antichrists. And uh, he wants them to know that these antichrists that have, are, are rising up around him are proof or evidence that they are living in the last days. Or as John refers to it twice in this verse, he refers to it as the last hour. So what, is, what does John mean by that, the last hour. Well, the Bible uses these terms, uh, the last days. Another one is the last times. And uh, John here uses the term the last hour to refer to the period of time that is between Jesus's first and his second coming. Ever since the time when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, Humanity has been living in a period of time called the last days or the last hour. This is the final period of human history before Jesus returns and establishes his eternal kingdom. It's a time period when, uh, well, when Jesus returns, it'll be a time when time itself will cease to exist, right? Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't want to be super picky or anything, but to say that it's the last hour, I mean, there's been a lot of hours 
that have passed since John wrote this, right? And, and the fact that I'm, I'm kind of joking about that, but that is exactly the type of thing that a deconstructionist would say. And, and Peter knew that people were going to say it too. Where is he? You keep talking about the fact that Jesus is going to come. Oh, it's the last days. It's the last times. It's the last hour. Where is he? Right? But we need to remember, first of all, that God is eternal. God is eternal. God exists outside of time. So his time frame and our time frame are, are very different. In fact, when Peter was confronting that very objection, like, where is Jesus? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You see, for God, oh, it's been 2,000 years since, since my son left to return to me? That's like two days. Like, <laughs> that's like nothing for the Lord, right? That's nothing. But the second thing I think that we need to make, make note of is this. When the Bible writers talk about the last days or, or the last times, there is a sense of, of urgency a sense of expectancy that believers are supposed to live with in light of this truth. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about the last days. Nobody knows when the last day of the last days is going to happen. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Jesus says, I don't even know, but the Father only. Only God the Father knows when the final day will be. So every human who's been living since the time that Jesus ascended has been living in this period called the last days, right? This last hour, because we don't know when he's going to return. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said this though. He said, therefore, you also must be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Which is why, by the I, I just, it cracks me up every time you turn on the news or you, or you read in, in, in a newspaper or a magazine that somebody has figured out when Jesus is coming. That's hilarious. You, you figured out when Jesus is coming. Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming. That's amazing. I mean, to say that I know when Jesus said, I don't know, and only God the Father knows, it's ridiculous, right? You do not know. But we are called to be ready. And John, the apostle, believed that Jesus could return at any moment. He was ready, and he wanted these believers to be ready as well. I don't know if I have to tell you this or not. I don't think I do. But we're living... <laughs> in the last days. You know that, right? I don't have to tell you that. Jesus could come at any moment. If, if John looked around and he saw what was happening, he said, man, we are living in the last hour. Then certainly, I mean, could you agree that we must be living now in the last minutes, right? I mean, if that was the last hour, we've got to be now in the last minutes. We're certainly closer than when John first wrote this. When we turn on the news and, and we see all that's happening in the world around us, when we see what's happening and we see the things that are recorded in Scripture being fulfilled right before our eyes, like John, we should recognize that Jesus could come at any moment. Hopefully, that doesn't fill you with dread. Hopefully, that fills you with joy. John looks around and he sees what's going on around, and he says that this is proof that we are now living in the last hour. And what does he point to as the proof? What does he say? He says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And that's the proof that we're living in the last hour. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in, in the height of the Left Behind um, book series. Anybody else kind of grow up with that book series? A few of you, some of you are like... Oh 
kid. <laughs> like, you don't have to be embarrassed. It's okay. You read it. It's good. It was a fun book series. I enjoyed it very much. So I grew up in the height of that whole series. And so just the mention, just the mention of, of Antichrist brings up all kinds of imagery in my mind of this evil end times enemy of God. I actually picture him in a boardroom. You know, <laughs> you guys know the scene in the Left Behind series, right? Was it, is it Nikolai Carpathia in the series? Yeah. Is that his name for real? No, okay. I didn't know. Maybe, it, maybe that really is. Um, so that's the funny thing about the Antichrist too, right? I mean, what do Donald Trump and Barack Obama and Adolf Hitler and what do they all have, Gor, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, what do they all have in common? Now Putin, what do they all have in common? Everybody has thought that they're the Antichrist, right? So they do have some things in common apparently. So the scripture writers use many names for this end times figure. In 1 John, he calls him the Antichrist. By the way, that's the only place where the word Antichrist appears in Scripture. It's in John's writings. Other parts of Scripture, they call him, uh, Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. In the book of Revelation, he's referred to as, I like this one, the beast. That's, that's a good reference. And John says that just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, this, this evil enemy of Christ, so now many antichrists, plural, have come. John says, you know, you've heard about the antichrist. I'm not talking about him right now. That's the one who will come. But let me tell you something. Many antichrists have come. They're in the world right now. That's what John is saying to them. They are here. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, you can just flip over there, maybe one page. Uh, John says something very similar. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, he says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The word Antichrist can mean one of two things. It can either mean against Christ, or it can mean instead of Christ. And John says that these false teachers, they're not the antichrist that's going to come, but they are antichrists in that they are teaching either against Christ or some other gospel instead of Christ. And as we move through the text, we're going to take a look more at, at, at what it was that they were teaching, what, what they were teaching. But I think it's important for us to understand that, that anyone who teaches a gospel that's instead of Christ or, or contrary to Christ, John says they are anti-Christs. We don't use that term, do we? We, I, like, I like the softened version. They're false teachers. You know, like, oh, that's a false teacher. John says, no, no, they're antichrists. That's serious, right? Look at what he says in verse 19. Verse 19, he says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So the first thing that John tells his readers about these antichrists is that they had been part of the church gathering. Yikes, right? These false teachers that were troubling the church had once been among them. Think about that. They had likely prayed together, sang together, took communion together, studied God's word together. Maybe they served their community together. The believers that John is writing to had relationships with these antichrists who had left the church community. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how shocking it would be to hear somebody write to you about someone who had left our church family calling them antichrists? Can you imagine that? Thinking back like a couple of three, two, three years ago, I used to sit right next to them. We used to sing together. And to have John write to you and say, they're antichrists. Wow. 
I think that that's part of the reason why there was so much confusion and doubt for these, for these believers who had stayed in the church community because they had a relationship with these people. They trusted them. They wanted to believe them. They wanted to trust them, just like you would if you had a relationship with somebody who left and went out from the church family. Now, I need to clarify something here. Let me tell you what John is not saying. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that every time someone leaves a local church family, that they are therefore antichrists. Well, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in church in quite a while. I guess that means they're an antichrist. <laughs> is that, that's not what John is saying, right? These false teachers had left the church community, but more than that, as we're going to see in the coming verses, they were teaching a false gospel. They were teaching false doctrine. Not only that, they were intentionally trying to deceive the believers who had remained. They were militant. They wanted to pull these others with them. But here in verse 19, John says that these antichrists did not remain. They did not remain. They went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Which brings up a really important point. Those who are true believers, those who are true believers will remain in him. They will remain. And it doesn't mean that, that if you're a true believer, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It doesn't mean that you may not go through you know, seasons where, where you have doubts or even failures. It doesn't mean that you won't end up in a different you know, local church family. But it does mean that if you are a true believer, you will endure with Christ. You may wander for a period, but if you are truly his, I believe you will return to him. In Mark chapter 13, verse 13, these are Jesus's words. He said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I love what John Stott says about that verse. He says, they are saved not because salvation is the reward for endurance, but because endurance is the hallmark of those who are saved. Those who are truly his will endure to the end. They will remain in him. These antichrists did not remain because they were not truly his. You know, not everyone who professes to know Christ truly knows him. But those who do, they will remain. Well, in verse 20, John says to these believers, he says, but you... You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. John says to these, to these true believers, that these, these Christians that he is writing to, he says that they have been anointed by the Holy One. Now, the Holy One is, is Jesus. This is a, a title that is used throughout the Old Testament for the Messiah, and it's used specifically of Jesus in the New Testament several times. Uh, you can see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, Luke chapter 4, verse 34. You can read it in Psalm 16:10. It's countless. It's all over the scriptures as the Holy One for the Messiah. And John says that Jesus, this Holy One, has anointed these believers. And the anointing that he is talking about here is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was given to them. As we began... This morning, I told you that John is going to point to two gifts that God has given us to remain in Christ. And these gifts are going to help us not only to remain in him, but to help us to stand firm against false teachers. And the first gift that John reminds these believers of is the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, by the way, I'll quote John 14 quite a bit today, but I would encourage you to read John chapter 14 on your own this week. Uh, because I'm not going to hit all of it. But in John chapter 14, Jesus promised to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would dwell within every true believer. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives is to teach us and to guide us into all truth. John 14, 26, Jesus said, 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So John reminds these believers that when they believed, when they believed in Christ, when they believed the truth about Jesus, they were anointed with the Holy Spirit who leads them into all truth. John says, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's not gonna lead you away from the truth. He's not gonna lead you away from Jesus. He's not gonna lead you into these false gospels, these false teachings by the Antichrist. What they're telling you is not the truth and the Holy Spirit will not lead you there because no lie is of the truth. And now in verses 22 and 23, John is going to, uh, he's going to turn his attention to the lies that these false teachers, these antichrists were pushing. Verse 22, he says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now in verse 19, John said that these false teachers had, they had left the community of believers. That's the first thing he told us about these false teachers. The second thing he tells us is that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. Hold your finger again right here in this page. Just turn over to uh, chapter four, verses one through three. Chapter four, verses one through three. John gives us a little bit more insight into the teachings of these antichrists uh, about Jesus. John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. These false teachers that John is addressing in this letter were denying, they were denying the humanity of Jesus. And you might recall that in our first week in this series, in, in chapter one, verses one through four, we saw John emphasizing, emphasizing the fact that Jesus had come in the flesh. Do you remember that from the very first week? John said, we saw him with our eyes, right? We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. And the reason why John in that, in that opening few verses is stressing the, 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 the humanity of Jesus is because these false teachers were saying that he really didn't come in the flesh, that he was just a spirit being. And John says that is heresy. That is heresy. Brothers and sisters, you have heard me say this before. I think I said it in that first week. I'll say it again. There are many, many things that we can agree to disagree about when it comes to our understanding of Scripture and how we practice our faith. There's a lot of, there's a lot of room for us to, to negotiate here. But when it comes to our Christology, which is our theology about who Christ is, we must get this right You've probably heard the famous quote, right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Let me tell you, when it comes to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you're dealing with an essential. This is essential Christian doctrine. Jesus suffered a very real and a very painful death physical death to pay for our sins and to satisfy the righteous demands of God the Father. His body, his physical body was broken and was laid in a tomb. 
And three days later, his physical body was raised back to life. That is an event that we joyfully, hopefully celebrate, not just at Easter, but every single day of our lives. Jesus defeated death. Amen? This is huge. And John says that what these false teachers are teaching is heresy. They were denying an essential Christian doctrine about Jesus. He says that they were denying that Jesus is the Christ and John calls them liars. He was not willing, John was not willing to ignore such a heretical teaching and neither should we. We can't. We can't because the stakes are too high. The consequences are too severe. We cannot ignore false teaching like this. And so in verse 23, John says, no one who denies the son has the father. But whoever confesses the son has the father also. You see, the only way, the only way to be reconciled to God is through his son, Jesus. It's the only way to be reconciled. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If anyone, if anyone proposes another way to be reconciled to God apart from his son, John says that this is the teaching of Antichrist. It's the teaching of Antichrist. Anybody who speaks that way is misleading you. And according to 1 John chapter 4, they are operating in the spirit of Antichrist. John's not pulling any punches, is he? In verse 24, John is now going to point these believers to the second gift that God has given us to remain in Christ. The second gift that will help us to stand firm against false teaching. Verse 24, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. John tells these believers that if they if what they heard from the beginning abides in them, then they will abide in him. They will remain in the Son and the Father. But what does John mean by what they had heard from the beginning? What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the truth that they had first put their faith in when they came to know him, the truth that they had heard from the apostles' teachings probably alluding even to what he had written in his gospel, the gospel of John. John's telling these believers to stick with the truth that they had received when they first believed. He says, you know, you don't need to go after these, these new and enlightened teachings. Stick with the truth that you have already heard from the beginning. These false teachers, these false teachers claiming to be enlightened we're leading people away from the fundamental truths of the gospel. And that is exactly what's happening in this deconstruction movement. They're claiming like, oh, well, we're enlightened now. We figured it out. And you know what's interesting about that? What, what is their source? What's their source? At least I can appeal to God's word. I can appeal to the eyewitness testimonies of John and others who walked with Jesus. They're appealing to their, their desires. They're appealing to what feels right to them. And so what happens is whenever we find something like, I just don't, I don't like what God's word teaches on this, I guess we just change God's word to fit what feels right to me. And that's what they do. John tells them, hold on to what you've been taught by the apostles. Hold on to the apostles' teachings. The words that we hold in our hand, these are the words that were from the beginning. This is God's word. And if we're gonna remain in him, if we're gonna remain with Jesus, with the Father, then we need to remain in his word. God's word is a gift to help us to remain in him. In 2 Timothy chapter four, verses three and four, Paul tells this to Timothy. He says, the time is coming. The time is coming. And can I say, the time is here. When people will not endure sound doctrine, or sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate from themselves teachers to suit their own what? Passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they're going to wander off into myths. Paul says that people are going to wander off into myths in order to suit their own passions. Now, some people, they just reject Jesus altogether, right? Just done with him, done with it altogether. Others decide to just recreate Jesus into a Jesus that they can handle, you know? A Jesus that they can tolerate. You don't like something about Jesus, you just change what Jesus said, right? Well, Jesus didn't really say that. What he said was this, because I don't really like that teaching of Jesus. So that rather than submit to Jesus as their Lord, the, the, the way that he reveals himself in the pages of scripture, we decide we're just gonna recreate Jesus into a Jesus that we can handle. And John says, that's not allowed. You don't get to do that. You don't get to tell Jesus, the son of God, what he's like. You don't get to choose what Jesus values. Jesus tells you what's important to him. Jesus tells us how to live our lives. If we're gonna remain in him, we're gonna remain in Jesus, we need to stick with the truth of God's word and what God's word says about Jesus. It's a gift to help us remain in him. And in verse 25, John reminds them of what God has promised to those who are his. And this is the promise that he has made to us. What is it? Eternal life. Wow, eternal life. Can you just let those two words sink in for just a moment? God has promised eternal life to those who are his, to those who remain in him. It is amazing to me how much people are willing to sacrifice for temporary pleasures. You're willing to throw away eternal life for temporary pleasures? I mean, if God told you that you need to stand on your head for the next seven years in order to have eternal life, it's worth it, right? I mean, it's eternal life. Thankfully, he doesn't ask us to do that. I can't stand on my head for like 10 seconds. But my point is that, that we put temporary pleasures above eternal life because we don't like something that God says? Doesn't sit well with our desires or our appetite? I don't think we understand what we're doing here. We're talking about eternal life. What a gift. Well, in verse 26, John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See here, John reveals a third characteristic about these antichrists. We've already seen that they had come out of the church, that they were teaching a false gospel, denying that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And now here in verse 26, John says that they were intent on deceiving those who had remained in the church. This was their desire. They wanted to deceive them. They're trying to pull them away. It wasn't enough for them to leave. They wanted to take others with them. And so John says, I am writing to you because you need to know the truth about these antichrists. You need to know what God has given you in order to remain in him. He's given us his word. And in verse 27, he says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here in verse 27, John circles back to what he's already talked about in, in verse 20, the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to those who are in him. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that his spirit abides in you you, that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's also pretty cool, right? The Holy Spirit of God is living in you. But you know, that means that he's with you 
in everything that you do. Every word you say, every act, everything, every conversation, every thought, God's Holy Spirit is with you. That's why the Bible says to be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know that your life, by the things that we do and say, God's Spirit is residing us, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by the way we choose to live. In John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, wow. God sent, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. That's pretty cool too, by the way, because you know, before Jesus came, the people in the Old Testament, the, the heroes of the faith that we've, Elijah, we just did the Elijah series and, and David and all these people, the Spirit of God would come upon them, right? We read about the Spirit of God coming upon them and leading them, but they never got to experience the way we do the Holy Spirit living in us. Do you realize what a treasure you have? What a gift. It's been my experience that some churches, some churches will emphasize the importance of God's word in the life of the believer, but they'll neglect the importance of the Holy Spirit, right? You've seen that, right? Churches that, that elevate God's word. Well, we're a church of God's word. This is what we stand on. Other churches, however, swing the pendulum in the opposite direction, and they emphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to the neglect of the importance of God's word. Well, we just follow the Spirit wherever the Spirit leads. We just go wherever the Spirit leads, and if it contradicts the word of God, well, the Spirit trumps the word. Now, they wouldn't say that necessarily, but they live that way, right? Can I just tell you something really cool? We don't have to choose between the two. You don't have to choose between God's word and God's spirit. He gives both to his children. You've been given the word of God and you've been given the spirit of God. You do not need to be afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Don't be afraid of the spirit. Thank God for his Holy Spirit. Thank God for his word. You can trust God's spirit. He will never, ever lead you to do anything contrary to what God has revealed in his word. Right? Don't be afraid. Listen to the spirit. Talk to the spirit. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to guide you and do what he's calling you to do as long as it's in conjunction with his word. And if you come to me and you say, well, I believe that God is calling me to do this, but I say, well, his word clearly teaches that you're not supposed to do that, then we can figure out that maybe you're not hearing the right spirit in that moment, right? But the only way to learn to hear his Holy Spirit better in our lives is to walk in obedience to what he's revealing to you. You've got to learn to walk in the spirit. We don't have to choose, okay? Fayette Baptist Church, I want this church to be a, a church that is committed to walking in the spirit and living by the word, amen? We can do both. We don't have to sacrifice either one. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his spirit. It's a wild ride, by the way. It's a wild ride. If your life in, in Christ feels boring, try walking in the Spirit. Seriously. It's a wild roller coaster of a ride. You're going to be screaming and holding on for dear life, right? But it's exciting. It's exciting. And that's what we, that's what we want. Not because we want a thrill or excitement, but because we want to be obedient. We want to do what God's calling us to do, right? And God's in the business of doing some amazing things, changing lives. Man, I want to be a part of that. You know, I don't want to be the same. John says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, I strategically saved this verse for last today um, because John says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Um, <laughs> If I had opened with this verse, you might have stood up and walked out, 
Like, what are we doing here? John says, you don't have any need that anybody should teach you. What is, what is John saying here? Is he saying that we don't need pastors? We don't need teachers? Well, clearly that is not what he is saying. And you're thinking, well, of course you'd say that, Chris. <laughs> clearly he is not saying that because what's he doing? He's teaching, right? He's instructing them in this letter. So clearly he's not saying that they don't literally need teachers. In Ephesians chapter four, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, and he, talking about Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So Jesus gave teachers to the church for a purpose. We exist, the shepherds, the elders, the pastors, the teachers in this church exist to help build up the body to equip you for the work of ministry, to help you to understand his word better, to, to help instruct you on in how to walk in the spirit better, right? Why? So we have more people here? No, to build up the body of Christ so you can actually fulfill the work of ministry that God has called you to. Amen? Do you know that God has called you to ministry? You're all called. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called. And it's the teachers and the elders, the pastors, that's our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Amen? So clearly John's not saying that we don't need teachers because he'd be contradicting what Jesus did. So what does he mean? Well, John wants these believers to recognize the incredible resource that God has provided for them by his indwelling spirit. He wants them to understand that the Holy Spirit living in us teaches us what is true. They don't need the, the, these teachings of these antichrists. They've already received the truth that was revealed to them from the beginning, the truth that is affirmed by the Holy Spirit living in them. You can trust the Holy Spirit to guide you and to discern what is truth and what is error. Ask the Holy Spirit. When you read something and it's like, oh, that seems a little off or whatever, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to discern, discern between truth and error. It's what he does. It's part of what he does. And John wants them to realize that they all have this. They don't need to be tricked and deceived by these enlightened teachers. And again, as I read earlier, these verses, what does Jesus say? He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In John 16, 13, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Paul commended the Bereans, right? You know, for, for, for searching the scriptures after he spoke. You know, you should do the same thing. I don't care who's standing up here, right? It doesn't matter who's standing here teaching. We should be doing the same thing. Like Holy Spirit revealed to me, is this truth what I'm hearing? That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. Study his word, listen to the spirit and follow him. The Holy Spirit living in us helps us to discern between truth and lies. And he will never, ever contradict what God has revealed in his word. He will always, the Holy Spirit will always lead us in obedience to God's word. And he will always lead us into closer fellowship with God's son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing passage this is from John. I really hope that you hear the heart of John. He loves these people. He's concerned for them. He does not want them to be pulled away into these false teachings. He wants them to stand firm in God's word, the things that they've heard from the beginning, and he wants them to stand firm in the Holy Spirit. Amazing. So thank him for both. Thank him for his word. Thank him for his spirit. Dig in this week and keep searching. Uh, next week... I won't be here. I'm going to be hopefully someplace a little warmer. We'll see. 
Um, and uh, Pastor Jeff is going to be teaching next week. He's pretty sure on what he's teaching on, but I'm not going to say what it is yet, just in case he changes his mind. Um, but if you want to do your homework, because I know some of you love having homework, um, your safe bet is to just read the Bible this week. Um, <laughs> you read the whole thing, the whole thing. Um, I'm told it takes about 72 hours to read through the whole Bible if you read at what they call pulpit speed. So I guess it depends on who the preacher is. Um, but about 70 hours. By the way, isn't that amazing? You can read the whole Bible in 70 hours. Think about how many hours of TV we might consume in a year or how many hours of social media we might consume in a year. You should all be able to make it through the Bible multiple times per year, really, right? You can do it. So uh, please join me in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have given us your word, an anchor for us. We don't have to be pulled away into false teachings. We can, we can believe the truth that, we, that was delivered to us at the beginning. And thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in you, you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us to discern the, the truth from the lies. And God, I pray that we, your people, would be thanking you every day for both. And God, this week, would you help us to live by your Spirit and to walk in obedience to your word. And God, would you do a work in and through our lives that might help us to fulfill the ministry that you have for us, that others might come to know you and to give their lives to you. We thank you for this time. We pray that as we leave this place, we leave changed, closer to you than when we walked in. We pray these things in Jesus' name.